Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hey everyone. Before we get started on the stories, I need to give some warnings. Stories 2, 3, and 4 are all pretty dark. Stories 2 and 3 mention a murder and story four mentions the death of a baby. I'll have these stories down in the timestamps in a pinned comment, and I'll have them labeled in case you want to skip them. All that being said, let's get started. And remember, to always, stay hungry. These events happened when I was around six or seven around 2001. We lived in a small community close to Gordo, Alabama. From kindergarten through first grade, my mom worked crazy hours. So twice a week after school, my great-grandmother would pick me, my sister, and four other cousins up from school. We would head to my grandparents' home where they had an awesome treehouse in their front yard right next to a big sunflower field that my grandparents would make homemade baked sunflower seeds from. One of the things we would do is search the yard for cold rocks and old arrowheads. Once we found them, we would pick who had the coolest find and leave them in the treehouse. My great-grandmother would call us into the house to get something to eat, and just like clockwork, she came. Up the old dirt road hidden by trees lived an old woman. She had to be in her 70s at least, and she lived completely alone. Now, we kids never had any interaction with her, but my grandfather would call her the witch woman. Apparently, they had a few minor altercations, and she wasn't fond of him nor his family. The woman was tall and lean with a hunched back. She had curly gray hair and appeared much older than the 70s. She would always wear plain dull dresses, and she walked with a cane and a limp. I'll never forget seeing her waddle up the road. Anytime she would go inside the house after coming from inside the treehouse, we would take our food and watch through the screen door as the witch woman in question would begin her walk up the long dirt road. I remember seeing her pick up speed as she hobbled across the paved road to my grandparents' yard. Every time she would climb the wooden steps nailed to the tree and enter our treehouse carrying a pillowcase. She would stay up there for only a few minutes, and then she'd start down again. Carrying the pillowcase over her shoulder, she'd walk right back towards her home. However, every time before crossing the road, she would look back at our treehouse and scowl like she wanted to rip it to pieces with her bare hands. Once she would leave, we would go right back out there, and some of it, if not all the treasures we found, would be gone. She never came when we were outside which makes me think she would watch us. My grandfather said that she was fairly harmless and honestly just thought she had a bad case of dementia with no family to look after her. I had many nightmares as a kid about the old witch woman. As adults, we look back and think how freaky it all was. But back then, we just made up stories about her to creep each other out. 
I still wonder to this day what she did with all of our treasures. I have three stories. All of them happened in Decatur, Alabama, a city in North Alabama. Here's the first one. A woman was walking through the parking lot and a man backed into her allegedly on purpose. Once he got out of the car, he had rubbed the woman's blood on his face. Here's the actual article. A Huntsville man is in the Morgan County Jail after the police say he killed a woman with his car in a Walmart parking lot Thursday night. Preston Nelson is charged with murder, accused of intentionally running into Sherry Sane with his car. She was pronounced dead at the scene. One woman saw the whole scene unfold as she was walking out of the Walmart behind Sane. She said that it was something that she never thought she'd walk out and see. He was slowly pulling out of the parking lot, out of the parking space, and the closer he got to her, it was like he gassed it, said Amy Brown. So when he hit her like, it was just right between the car. Nelson tried to drive away, but his car stalled. His car kept going dead. That's the only reason he came to a stop there. She said that he came back to Sane and did something Brown will never forget. He comes and kneels down beside her body, and he takes his hand and he rubs her blood, and then just all over his face. It was very malicious. It was. It seemed like it was done intentionally, said Brown. Even to this day, he has no reasoning of why he did this. Steve Perkins, a Decatur man, was killed in his front yard during an officer-involved shooting on September 29th. Steve Perkins, 39, was accused of pointing a handgun equipped with a light at a Decatur police officer, causing the officer to fire at Perkins. According to news released from the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency State of Bureau of Investigation, Decatur police say they received a call at about 1.30 a.m. from a towing company claiming they had attempted to repossess a car on Ryan Drive. However, they said that the vehicle owner identified as Perkins threatened the tow truck driver with a handgun, and the driver fled the scene. Police returned to the scene with the driver, and the police say Perkins once again came out from the house with a gun and continued to threaten the driver. Perkins was then shot by an officer and died from his injuries at a hospital. Ring doorbell camera footage of the incident from Perkins' neighbors circulated through social media, causing a public outcry as people questioned why Perkins was shot. Following Perkins' death, community members have repeatedly come together in protest, demanding transparency and answers from the police. Perkins' family, friends, neighbors, and others say they're tired of seeing their brothers and sisters killed by law enforcement. Although there have been calls for the release of body camera footage, a statement from the Decatur police chief revealed that decision is out of his hands since ALEA is conducting the investigation and maintains the evidence. Also, the gun he had was simply a flashlight. Okay, so this one's a little more upsetting than the others to me because it does involve a baby. There's this gas station I drive by every morning or I'll get gas there before or after work. It's a small gas station fairly close to my job. By close, I mean for people to walk there for lunch. 
it's a football field away. Anyways, as always at 5.27am, I pass the gas station and go to work. October 18th seemed the same, until around lunchtime and we all got notifications on our phones in our group on Facebook about a newborn baby being found in the dumpster at the station. This obviously caused everyone not to want to go there for lunch. The baby was a girl. It's been a month, and no cause of death has been determined yet. The mother who committed this crime lives just in my area. As you can imagine, the remaining family who lived in the house after the arrest quickly left. This happened in Decatur, Alabama. I'm going to be reading the article. The Decatur Police Department has arrested the woman who allegedly placed her deceased newborn baby inside the dumpster at Wally World Mini Mart. On Monday, Decatur police were contacted to check the well-being of 36-year-old Cindy Nicole Crow, who is believed to have recently given birth. A concerned family member called and stated that she believes she was eight months pregnant and that she's lost a lot of weight overnight. Her sister believed that she had given birth and was concerned about where the baby was. That family member stated that on Monday when Cindy was leaving her home, she noticed a large white trash bag in the black floorboard of her car that she was driving. The family member tried to look at the bag, but Crow refused to let her. Crow then headed to their aunt's house. While Crow was gone, her sister looked into the trash and found bloody feminine products. And when she arrived at her aunt's house, she noticed that the trash bag was no longer in the car. Officer spoke with Crow at her job, and that's when she agreed to go to the hospital to prove that she wasn't pregnant. While waiting on the results of the exam, Crow gave an officer consent to search her cell phone. A Decatur detective found that Crow had a Life 360 and was able to locate the route she took when she left her home on that Monday. The result for Crow's test came back and yielded a positive pregnancy test. Staff at the hospital said that Crow was seen at the hospital in February 2023. At that time, she was confirmed to be six weeks pregnant, with an October 13th due date. Crow agreed to speak with the detective, and was then taken to the Decatur Police Department. During the interview, Crow confirmed the hospital February 2023 hospital visit, and that she was indeed pregnant at that time. Crow had stated that she had a miscarriage shortly after that. She then admitted that she did have a white trash bag, but claimed that it contained trash from the car she was driving. When the detective asked where the trash bag was, Crow provided multiple locations that were later determined to be false. On Tuesday, officers searched the route that was discovered from Crow's Life 360 app, and one of those locations was at the Wally World Mini Mart on Point Mallard Drive southwest in Decatur. Upon their arrival, Officers searched the dumpster, and they found a trash bag containing the body of a newborn baby girl stuffed in the bottom of the dumpster. The body was then transported to the Alabama Department of Forensic Science for an autopsy. On Wednesday, due to evidence acquired over the three days, a felony warrant was obtained for Crow for the offense of abuse of a corpse. Crow was located at her home in Decatur and taken into custody. Crow was then booked into the Morgan County Jail, where she's being held on a $200,000 bond. As I write this story, the investigation is still ongoing. Moral of the stories, Decatur may look like a pretty city, 
but it's a very dangerous and scary place to live. If you're ever traveling here, never stay. I've worked night shift security for around seven years now. I've seen some shit at my current job that most people would think never happens. Usually when people think of security, they think of Paul Blard or just some guy sitting watching cameras. I've done security similar to that in the past. Worked plant jobs where you just sit in a little shack and check in truck drivers and employees. The company I've worked for for the last three years, however, is the complete opposite. We do residential security in a big college town in Alabama. I've had a lot of good times, tons of fun stories, like drunk kids having the dumbest answers to police questions, coming across the weirdest situations, goofing off with coworkers, and so on. But I also had my fair share of bad times with this company too. The things people don't think about when they think of security. The kids we try to protect think we kill the fun. When in reality, I've dealt with drugged girls, passed out kids, murder, suicides. You get the picture. One of the worst times was having to aid the police in blocking view of a body being carried to the coroner's van, all while the victim's mother and other family were wailing. Then there was another time, having to keep calm and tell my people what to do when this one kid threatened suicide. But there's one incident that happened that really shook me and it even stayed with me for a bit. To set the scene, we had just gotten a contract with this one place that had gotten kind of rough. The place had seen its share of murders and shootings. We were there to try and deter future activity. About a month in, during football season, there were several huge parties going on at a couple of different buildings inside the complex. Way too many for us. So we called the police department and asked if they could help clear out the parties. The police officers that responded definitely could understand why we needed assistance. So while the officers and one of our guys went inside the complex to start shutting down the parties, two other security officers along with myself were at the gates. We were verifying if someone lived there before letting them through to ensure that the parties didn't get any larger than they already had. I was standing in front of the gate while my supervisor, who we'll call Joker, checked the cars and people and would either send them away or tell me to let them through. Things were going all right. There was a steady stream of cars leaving the complex, and even after almost getting hit by this one car, we were just laughing and joking around. Then this red car pulls through, trying to be vague so I don't get in trouble or anything, and it just rolls by Joker and onto me. I yell out, Hey sir, do you live here? No response, just keeps going forward. I yell that two or three times before the car finally stops within a foot or so away from me. Joker goes up to the driver window and tells the guy after that stunt, since he didn't live there, he needed to turn around and leave. The guy then says that he's there to pick up someone. We tell him he can, but he's not going through the gate. He can turn around and wait at the office for them. Dude gets super confrontational and starts inching the car forward. At this point, I'm not scared, more angry than anything, and way too stubborn to move. Joker comes to stand next to me and orders the guy to turn around. That's when the red car guy notices that we're carrying. Joker and I were armed, so our pistols were in our holsters, but we never touched them 
so I don't know what really set this guy off. And he then starts yelling, saying, If you're gonna grab that gun, you better fucking do it then, bitch! Where I'm from, we don't play around with shit like that! All the while he's hanging halfway out the window. At this point, Joker gets the guy's attention on him so that I can make my way to a different angle to call 911. I call an informed dispatch that we're gonna need additional officers on scene, and that this guy was getting more and more belligerent. Dispatch is confused, says there's already two units there, to which I responded that they were there but they were on foot and inside the complex, so they wouldn't get back to the front in time. By this point, the guy is out of his car, getting into a screaming contest with Joker. I'm starting to feel panic edge its way into me, but I push it down. That shit wasn't gonna help. That's when the dude pulls a gun out of his waistband and then points it at Joker and then at me, going back and forth. It's funny, because in your mind you'll come up with all these scenarios of something like this about how you'll feel or what you'll do. Well, what came into my mind was, I wonder how loud it's gonna be. If I remember correctly, what Joker thought was, is that a Glock or something else? I tell dispatch that the guy has a gun, a handgun of some kind, and he was threatening to shoot us. Joker gets the guy's attention back on him. These girls that were in the vehicle behind this guy get out and are standing near the dude, telling him to chill, while also telling us to stop shining our flashlights towards him. Which I suppose is fair, but in the moment, our main thought was since he had a weapon, we damn well wanted to be able to see where he points it. Dispatch still misunderstood the situation, and we're now having the officers walk back on foot instead of sending an additional unit. My hand is on my sidearm, praying that I don't have to use it, trying to calculate the likelihood of me getting a shot off without hitting the girls near him and without Joker getting hurt. That's when we faintly heard the police radios walking back towards the front. He must have heard them too, because he got in his car and turned around. He pulled off into the road, still waving his gun around, but took off down the road by the time the police got back to their cruisers. They took off after him, but they never caught him, and we haven't seen him since. When it was all said and done, Joker and I walked to the benches near the office, sat down, and I shakily joked, let's maybe not tell our wives about this. Everyone I've told this story says we should have immediately shot the guy as soon as he started waving a gun around. I get it. Neutralize the threat and whatnot. But it's really hard to do that in the moment. When those girls got involved, it upped the chances of us not hitting the guy at all and then them getting hurt. Plus, we really didn't want a murder on our hands. There's just too many factors involved that people don't think about. I was kind of quiet the rest of the night and a bit shaky, not gonna lie. I remember going home, downing a shot of whiskey, cuddling with my wife, and just playing it over and over in my head. The next night, Joker had asked me if I was alright and if I was gonna quit because of this. I didn't, and we've been battle buddies, so to say, ever since. Hell, we're best friends at this point, and we work together almost seamlessly. Hey everyone, I hope you all enjoyed these stories. If you ever want to submit your own, you can do so at southerncannibal.com. Have a good night everyone, and remember, to always, stay.